Welcome to another episode of Freed from Feminism. I am Teresa. And I am Beth. And today we are talking about, drumroll, women in the military. And this may be a little bit of a controversial subject because um, I know a lot of you may have family members or friends or you yourself may be in the military. So um, just wanted to kind of mention right at the outset, this is not a personal commentary, a condemnation of you or anyone else. This is just kind of talking about the idea of women working in the military. And we are very excited um, that we have two experts with us today, our husbands, one of whom served in the Army Infantry, right, Aaron? Yep. And um, one of whom served in the Navy Nuke Department or whatever. Or whatever. Or whatever. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> Department. Department. Yeah. Can you tell I was never in the military? Yeah. Um, anyway, so we're very excited to have them on today. Uh, very um, happy to hear what they have to say about their experience um, working with women in the military, their thoughts and their suggestions um, and everything. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you having us on <laughs> of course um so beth i'll just go ahead and and uh kick this off with the first question if that's right okay sounds good just for our uh our listeners why don't you give um a quick rundown of what your military experience was like um just a general overview and then um maybe just touch a little bit on your experience specifically uh working with women in your respective roles. Uh, Aaron, do you wanna go first? Oh, sure. So I served five years uh, active duty with the uh, US Army as an 11 Bravo, that's an infantryman. Um, and I spent about one year in South Korea. Uh, and then the rest of my time was spent up at Fort Drum, New York and with one deployment overseas to Afghanistan. Uh, and then I've also currently been serving for the past couple of years in the Army National Guard. Um, so that's pretty much it for uh, my uh, experience um, in terms of length and all that stuff and job. Um, as an infantryman, we don't really have a lot of women in our units. Uh, in Korea, we didn't have any. I pretty much never saw a woman except for the weekends. <laughs> you know, when you, you there's there's not in the barracks. That that wasn't trying to be uh, uh, suggestive. <laughs> But so I have to be careful as an infantryman, we're also socially awkward and our humor is uh, generally not appropriate for social settings. So that was pretty much Korea, you know, everything we did, no women around, just guys 24 seven. Um, Fort Drum was a lot different though. Uh, we had women in our barracks. Uh, usually they were all regulated to like one specific floor or, or part. Um, so they were generally all like kept together. There was no co-ed uh, suites or anything like that. So the women had their own rooms and they had like their own hallway, if you will. But otherwise it was the, the building itself was shared between uh, men and women. Whereas Korea, the, the women had their own barracks that was specific to just didn't matter what unit you were in or anything like that. All the women kind of got lumped there. Um, and in terms of my 
a job in my units in Korea, as well as when I was deployed overseas, there were no women in our units. So we didn't directly work with any women in those regards. But when I came back from deployment, they began to integrate women in support roles within our unit. So we did already have, in terms of like administrative positions, we did have women who were usually older, um, usually they were NCOs, uh, sergeants, um, and just left to, oh, yeah. What are NCOs just for? Non-commissioned officers. Um, so some form of leadership. Yeah, it's basically the, the, the probably, I guess, most widespread form of leadership, if you will. You have junior enlisted, NCOs and then officers. Um, so most everyone who enlists in the military will come in as junior enlisted and they'll progress in their career to an NCO um, unless they earn a commission to become an officer. Um, it's kind of a holdover from more aristocratic days, if you will. So yeah, most of the women in the unit um, in our battalion, which was something somewhere around six to 700 people, um, had probably, I would, wager probably less than a dozen less than a dozen women uh in the entire battalion um almost all limited to administrative roles um so your your uh, hr department equivalent that kind of stuff but by the time i got back from afghanistan they began uh integrating women in our units um and still in support roles so we didn't have any uh infantry women as as you will um in our unit but we did have them begin to integrate women in supply positions logistical positions within our companies which is sort of like the subunits in a battalion and so and then by the time i left active duty they're beginning to integrate women medics uh into the units and uh there was a lot of pushback from the medic platoon and the medic leadership in our battalion against that um because just right off the bat, it did not uh, did not go well, um, you know. Uh, so, uh, in terms of the women I had to I had to work with and deal with in my unit, there's only probably about two or three, and it was not a positive experience. Um, in terms of their work ethic. And of course, it's not going to apply to all women's, you know, this is very individual basis, but they weren't, they didn't really have a very strong worth ethic. Um, they usually tried to, as we might say, sham or uh, get out of work to go take care of personal things or deal with personal things um, or play around on Facebook in their office with the door closed and hide away. Yeah, you know, uh, and but the thing that I guess really was the, the really negative or nail in the coffin from my perspective is the way leadership and some of the men would treat the women. And, you know, in the wider world, outside the military, how they treated them might be seen as a positive, you know, maybe catering to their needs a little bit, making sure they have everything they need, supporting them and in, in whatever you know, decisions they might want to make. Uh, but that just doesn't work in the military because what eventually, what it does when you work with these people 24-7 and this is your life revolves around this tight-knit group of people you have, you basically create these sort of false uh, egos or reputations that uh, 
fall on the soldiers who are suffering from the women's lack of work ethic, if you will. And the leadership never would punish uh, administratively uh, or discipline the female soldiers, um, you know, not even paperwork. Uh, it usually found what it would what it would come down to is when asked why something wasn't getting done, they would blame their male counterpart or a male counterpart. And basically all everything would fall on him. Um, and that wasn't because of the female soldiers themselves. That was because of how the men were treating the female soldiers. And that's kind of where I saw the problem personally uh, in my experience. You know, everything was geared to making sure, you know, it was white knighting to the fullest extent, you know, just, you know, you can never upset the females. You can't discipline them. They can't do anything wrong. Uh, if they do anything wrong, it's because, always because a man did something wrong. Um, and then there was also the problem of sort of male-female relationships uh, in a more uh, intimate setting. Um, we had one NCO who, uh, after years working with this one girl who was in our unit, um, uh, I have it on anecdotal evidence from a friend of mine who was at the unit that he eventually uh, hooked up, if you will, with the female soldier, uh, got called in adultery and some other things. But there's just this uh, myth that if you put men and women together, they're not going to develop or they're not going to have the sort of hormonal, in, you know, uh, responses that normally occur when you have guys and girls together. Um, so, you know, and she wasn't the only one like that in the unit. It had happened a couple other times uh, with other women in, in the administrative uh, units. And then there was this one just, and, you know, beyond that, in, in sort of big army terms, the biggest problem that we all had, you know, not just me, not just the guys in my unit, but, you know, male NCOs in the infantry and other units too, was uh, the Army's sexual harassment program. And the problem with it was that it was basically, it was like a, to put it in modern political parlance, it was basically Kavanaugh writ large in the military. Believe all women. And if you were a guy who was accused of sharp, as, as we would say, um, in the military, or at least in the Army, you were basically done for. You were going to you were going to be out of there so fast. Uh, you didn't really have much say in defending yourself. You didn't have much say in trying to. Oh, sure, go ahead. When you say out of there, do you mean court-martialed? Like, like yeah, like out of the military. At the very least, like you're going to get a general discharge kind of thing, um, or you'll probably get court-martialed. You know, um, you know. At best, you might get shipped to another unit, but I don't think it'd go that far. And, and you know, the, the Army has a very strict zero-tolerance policy, but, you know, there's a problem when zero-tolerance doesn't even, like, account for any sort of sense of, like, due process, you know? Um, but, you know, I have a few anecdotal experiences that I could share about some of the other women, but... You know, I could go on for hours about that. So I'll, I'll turn it over to Brendan now, let him talk about his experience. Um, Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, Aaron, I, I have a lot of uh, similar uh, takes. Um, anyways, uh, I, uh, I'm Brendan. I served uh, six years in the U.S. Navy, active duty, two years reserve. 
Um, I was a nuclear electrician's mate, a second class petty officer when I was discharged. Um, and I spent four years, four deployed in the seventh fleet. So that meant I spent in those four years, I spent about nine months out of the year at sea. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of my background. Uh, nuclear electricians, mate, we don't do just for the general pop populations, um, uh, knowledge. We don't work with nuclear weapons. We actually work on nuclear reactors. So I was a power distribution, um, electricians, mate. Anyways, um, uh, that's kind of my background in the Navy. So I spent most of my time at sea and, um, I can say it was, I, I wouldn't say it's organized chaos. It's basically just chaos, right? Because you, you take a ship with say three to 5,000 people on it and it's boys and girls together and you're at sea for eight, nine months. It's, it, it's not a recipe for success. It's a recipe for disaster. So, um, some of my experiences, uh, problems with the women in the military, um, a lot of what Aaron's saying rings true. I know to a lot of people out there, um, listening to him are going to think, wow, that's so sexist or that's so bigoted. What are you saying? Women don't work as hard as men. And the reality is the majority of them don't. And I don't necessarily blame the women for this because when they're being recruited for the military, the, the recruiters tell them like, Oh, it's it, you can totally do this. It's going to be so. They they lie, I mean, virtually lie to them, right? Um, I, at least in the Navy, this is a this is really a hard, gritty industrial world. There are very few men who are meant for this kind of lifestyle, let alone men and women, especially in in modern America, right? I mean, we we everyone talks about snowflakes, but the reality is our generations are. Um, you know, they're, they're weaker, I guess, than previous generations. We don't have as much hardship growing up. Um, but the, the, the overall, um, can you hear us? Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, the overall, uh, environment that you're living in is a difficult environment to live in, right? You're at sea, the ocean, it's trying to kill you. You're on a ship that it's not a pleasure cruise. It's, it's a very difficult lifestyle. And, God really did not make women for this kind of lifestyle. It's not really to their nature. That being said, every once in a while, you'll find a woman who actually um, does exist in this environment and has a positive contribution to it. Um, but they're the exception. And sadly, this is just the reality. Sadly, most of them are lesbians, um, to be honest with you. And we can talk about the the homosexual component of this because it's very disturbing you will find a lot of women in the navy I, this is anecdotal i don't have any studies to back this up i'm just telling you what i saw over four years at sea a lot of women will come on the ship they'll come into the fleet they will not be homosexual they will leave the ship homosexual that will happen like it it happens there's predators on board the ship homosexual predators both male and female that are going after these naive women anyway so Back to kind of what Aaron was saying, you do have a serious lack of work ethic in 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 a lot of these women because they're they feel like they got lied to. They were dis, they're disenfranchised. Um, they get to the ship and it's hard, gritty work, and they're not used to this kind of lifestyle. And a lot of them can't physically even do the work. Right, that's another major issue. So, well, I was I was a second class petty 
second class petty officer. So I had a number of women that would work for me. And you knew within a day, literally a day, what jobs they could and could not do. And I'm not kidding you. This is this is what I would have to do, because if I sent them to go do um, work on certain components, I knew they wouldn't be able to do it. They wouldn't figure it out. They'd overthink it. Probably has something to do with our brains, how our brains work and all that stuff. But um, I would literally give them jobs that, I mean, were the simplest jobs. I would give them a lot of secretarial work. Um, and they were okay with that. Like, they didn't have any problem with not going and doing the harder work and the more important work. They they would rather sit in the air-conditioned office and... Um, and work on the computers as opposed to going out and like replacing major fan units or uh, uh, switchboard work and stuff like that. Um, so I, I, a lot of what Aaron says, I mean, like I said, to the, to the American populace out there, they're going to think this is crazy, but it's a reality. You go into the military, it's an actual reality. You have a very kind of, they have a very different mindset. And he's also right too, that Think about this, right? You're in the military and you have to dress down a woman. I don't mean like actually physically. You have to like like actually <laughs> yell at her because that's what we do in the military. We yell at each other to correct our behaviors. Not always, but often we do. And she starts crying. What are you supposed to do as a man? Like, are you supposed to just be like, because if a man starts crying, I have a very different response than if a woman <laughs> starts crying because I'm telling her she's doing a bad job. I mean, it's. It's in those moments that you realize just how ridiculous this entire thing is. And then you go on to the the whole, like he was talking about, our civilization today, we think we're so, hashtag, what is it, woke, woke? It's absolute chaos. You cannot put all these men and women together on a tin can and expect that we're not going to have massive, rampant infidelity, adultery, and so let's just take out the whole like sin nature of that as Catholics and look at it from like a societal perspective. You have girls that are in relationships with four different guys. You don't think that that's going to cause serious issues within divisions. It, it's insane. Like you have guys fighting each over, fighting each other over the same girl. Um, and as to the sexual harassment, once again, Aaron, 100% right. I got kicked out of sex, sexual harassment training twice, two different times. The first time was because... Well, so this is a serious <laughs> problem, too. We have we have the Marines would come over to Okinawa. This happened once a year almost. And these guys, they'd come over to their like brand out of boot, brand new out of boot camp. They got money in their pockets and they would do something really stupid to one of the Japanese girls. Um, usually it's a prostitute. But anyways, the Japanese men do not take kindly to Americans doing bad things to Japanese women as they should. not No one should take kindly to that well it's a national incident when anyone when a when an american service member rapes a, a japanese citizen it's literally on all of their televisions there's boycotts outside of all of our bases and i i'm like i said i you if if, if the country is that upset about that's i'm okay with that rape is terrible it shouldn't happen but what then the navy decides to do is like okay what we need to do is more training because if we train men how not to rape women then maybe they won't rape women mm -hmm. which that's how that's how the military thinks. And so but the training is absolutely ridiculous because they're they're promoting things like you guys have to have safe sex. OK, with condoms and contraceptions and all this other nonsense. But at the same time, um, 
they're telling you like you have to get consent in all of these different ways. So one of the things they always say is if the woman has had anything to drink, she can't give her consent, which is kind of like on college campuses now and stuff like that, too. I, I think it's in the legal system in some way. And so if you see you see your shipmate out there, this is literally a train. This was one of the times I got kicked out. If you see your shipmate out there and they're drinking at a bar and they're they're talking to a woman um, you have to make sure that they don't go home with that woman because that is rape because she or if she's drinking she, she can't give consent so then at, on the same level they said um, men can rape their wives which of course men can rape their wives so I being just I um, this is after two hours of this nonsense training I'm sitting there and I asked the question so what you're saying is if a man if I see my my chief go out with his wife and they get a drink at a restaurant, I have to report him because he's going to go home and rape his wife. I got kicked out for that, and they put me at attention for like an hour. And then the second time I got kicked out was because um, the this was a big case. There was a major rape case that happened in Japan. This was like the last year that I was in. And um, my the actual, the chaplain on the ship saved me. He was a Catholic priest. Um, he, saved, he's, he saved me because I was in big trouble, um, which I shouldn't have been. It was so ridiculous. But anyways, the training was going on, and he just picked me out of the crowd and was like, Petty Officer Lane, um, this is a CMC, so he's the highest-ranking enlisted person on the ship of, like, 3,000 people. So this is – he's, like, a big – he's so far above me, it's it's not even funny. Um, but I was furious because I'm, again, an hour-and-a-half training that is completely worthless, and they're talking about all this, like, mythology comparing us to Eros and uh, – anyways, it doesn't matter. But the point was – he asked me, he's saying, um, Petty Officer Lane, um, explain to me how you get consent. And or the last time you've gotten consent in a sexual relationship. And I'm like 25, 26 years old. And I, and I was like, I, I don't think I've ever gotten it, Master Chief. And he's like, what? And then the whole room starts bursting into laughter because effectively what I'm saying, they all just assume that I've been having sexual relations this whole time. So they're just assuming that I've been raping all these women. And I continued to go along with the thing. And eventually I basically come out as a virgin and the CMC was so mad at me because I was making him look like a fool. Cause the whole place is laughing. Cause I'm saying I've never gotten consent. I've never gotten consent in my entire life. So anyways, the, the chaplain had to step in and save me because he was a Catholic priest. And he says that I remember the CMC said, do you think this is a joke, Petty Officer Lane? And I said, Master Chief, yes, I think this is an absolute joke. He's like, you think you could do better training? I'd say, absolutely. I said, I'd get up here and i teach theology of the body and tell all these people not to have sex until their marriage. <laughs> then I got kicked out of that training. I was at attention for a long time. But like I said, the, the Catholic priest chaplain stepped in and said, this is a religious belief. So if you want to, if you want to mask him for this, he can, he can come like, he could actually, you know, complain about this because, I was just, I, I was sick of it. I was sick and tired of being told I was a rapist and I was a predator when they're the ones that are teaching people how to become predators, right? You can't tell a bunch of 18-year-old men, oh, go out and do whatever you want to do as long as you do it safely and as long as you have consent and expect not to have an epic disaster. And then on top of that, you have predatory women. So I come out, I come out as a virgin on the ship. I had, I thought like, all the guys were going to make fun of me. And at first I didn't care. I was, I had like less than a year left. I was like, whatever deuces, I'm a Roman Catholic. You can all go fly a kite. <laughs> but what happened was it wasn't, it wasn't that 
I had all the guys making fun of me. I had girls that were coming after me trying to get me to have relations with them so they could take my virginity card. It was insanity. Like, it was epic insanity. I'm not talking about one. I'm talking about, like, over a dozen girls. Like, all of a sudden, I'm the new hot topic on the ship. So, anyways, there is systematic problems with women in the military. And it and it doesn't just, I mean, you know, from a philosophical, theological perspective, it's a serious problem. But just from a very basic, pragmatic um uh, disposition. It's a serious problem. Like it, it doesn't work at all. So, um, as we go through, I'm sure we'll have more anecdotal stories to back up what we're saying. And I think Aaron's got some research too, but I know how this is going to come across. This is going to come across as like, wow, these bigoted men in the military, but the reality is Aaron and I, like all the guys in the military, this is how we talk to each other. Like we all know this, this is, Everybody knows. Oh, one more thing before I get off of my soapbox. The the other thing that drives me insane. They want to say women and men are exactly the same. We have to treat them exactly the same. They can do the exact same thing as you. They should have the exact same pay as you. Then explain to me why our physical readiness standards are radically different. Why is it that I have to do more push-ups, run faster, do more sit-ups, do more pull-ups than the women have to do, right? And then we're the exact same. Oh, and here's the other thing. When it's on a when we're on a fire team, guess who we don't want on our team? We don't want women because if I go in there and my SCBA, my oxygen tank goes out, I don't want a 90-pound woman trying to carry a 200-pound man out of the compartment space that's filled with smoke and fire. Okay? So, the reality is the life that is in the military, at least in the Navy, is not conducive to the vast, vast majority of women, just from a secular, pragmatic standpoint. And then if you take the Catholic standpoint, it's absolutely ridiculous. So, all right, I'm done. <laughs> oh, yeah, go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, so uh, two things. First off, thank God I didn't join the Navy. That sounds miserable. Uh, two, thank God I joined the infantry, because we didn't have to deal with any of that. It eventually, I mean... I can't imagine having to do that kind of sharp training because for us, it always just evolved down to uh, don't rape anyone, don't rape anyone, don't rape anyone, get out of here. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, the reality was like, it's it's sort of, and I guess this is getting controversial in another way, but sort of like with the, the whole gun control thing, like criminals are already people who are sort of not all there in the head, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe they're spiritually defunct, they're suffering from trauma, or various other reasons that have developed them psychologically in the way they are. Um, and, you know, they're going to do, you know, criminals are going to do criminal things. So, like, it doesn't do a whole lot to get a bunch of, you know, 18, 20-somethings together and just be like, don't rape anybody. Like, we yeah. obviously know right. like, not to do that. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, like, good job, and, you know. And it was it was a recurring theme too, because every weekend we'd have to do a you know safety brief or the leadership brief, so the one not to do. And that's you know you know the same the the safe sex thing always comes there. The you know don't have sex with anyone who doesn't have consent in there. Don't sleep with your dog was another one. You know you know just mentioning all sorts of go. But it was all sarcastic. It was all sarcastic mm -hmm. because oh. we realized sort of it, how ridiculous and stupid it was. Even the leadership because they're the ones who are being sarcastic about it. Uh, and I, you know, I guess from my perspective, that was the benefit of only having men work there is that you could say all these things, you could have this sort of sarcastic, don't care attitude. Um, 
And, you know, you know, they have to do it because the Senate passed resolutions that forced right. the military to do mandatory training. That's really pretty much the only reason we have to do sharp briefs like once a month or whatever. Um, and I just, you know, to me, thinking of Brendan's stories, you know, there was one time in Korea where uh, we had a battalion formation and our battalion commander literally came down crying because he failed to put out for the day that we had to have sharp training done before we could get released for the weekend. And this man is like crying. I don't know if it was real. I don't know if he was playing up. Maybe he took, you know, being a good officer really seriously, which I suppose he should. But he, he pushed everyone out over to my company to finish the sharp training because we hadn't done it yet either. We didn't know we were going to do it. So we had a bunch of like, we had like some females tag along, some non-combat units, uh, men tag along to us. And this, this wound up kind of being pseudo scandalous uh, because our sharp uh, NCO, like every, every company has like an e uh, equal opportunity NCO, a uh, sharp representative, you know, all these people you can contact for these situations right. where you can push it up a chain to, to get it resolved, whatever issue that might be. And he's got his little packet there ready to start reading off like the regulations and start teaching us. And, you know, this is an E6, a staff sergeant. So, you know, like mid-rank NCO, uh, you know, several years of experience, older guy. And he just, he starts reading. He reads like the first paragraph and he just stops. He folds the packet back up and he throws it on the ground. And he says, I can't do this. This is effing BS. And then he just walks away. And like we're all laughing, like all the infantry guys are laughing, and all the non-infantry people are just like absolutely shocked that somebody would like say this or do this. And even our our company commander came over laughing as he picked it up and did the training himself. And it was just like there's this there's just this disconnect between like the expectations, the reality, and what the the social kind of expectations are. I guess um, divorced from that, you know, the higher ups. So yeah, I just thought I'd share that. Fill those oh, yeah. there. I mean, it's Aaron's right. It's a big joke. Like the guys all, it's a big joke. The whole thing, the women in the military to the men, it's a joke. The, I like, it, I know this is going to come across as terrible, but I'm just trying to give you the reality. I mean, it's anyways, it's just a big joke. We don't, we don't actually take it all that seriously. And like I said, you have, when I was in leadership, we would literally just try to give the females jobs to get them, you know, out of the way. That's essentially what we did. I know it sounds terrible, but that was the reality. So, so Brendan, did you yeah. have to watch that documentary that came out a few years ago about rape in the military? I think it was called like the invisible war or something like yes. that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We yeah. had to, they screened that in the, yeah. Yeah. They show that us in basic training. And essentially what it was, was, you know, all this stuff about rape in the military and, this is kind of like the thing that propelled all the sharp and stuff like that. But like, and don't get me wrong, that's sad. These things shouldn't be happening. But the problem isn't treating, the, or the solution is not going to be putting more women with men or more men with women or treating everyone like they're already, you know, the perpetrator or the victim till something already happens, you know? Right. Um, but that's like the mentality of our society. And uh, from the Army's perspective, I think, um, the army is the biggest branch in the military and in that sort of way, it best represents what society, what, what the civil society looks like, um, as a microcosm in, in a military setting. So the, the army best represents or best reflects society, uh, 
out there, if you will, from the military. And so, like, this is the reality. Like, you see it on college campuses now, or you see it with the Kavanaugh stuff, you know. You know, just all men are evil. All men are rapists. Uh, all women are victims. And only men can be rapists, you know, or only men can do these things. Only men can be sexist and all this stuff. And it's just it's just a disconnect from the reality of situations, uh, from from the way things really are. And, you know, from what a healthy society should look like if it was functioning properly. Yeah. So my question for you guys would be you've kind of already touched on it, but. So I know there's a lot of debate in the media that says, okay, women are perfectly fine in administrative roles in the military. We should keep letting them stay there. Um, And then trying to push also for combat, um, which I feel like combat's a little bit more easy to argue because there's obvious physical differences between men and women. But do you guys think that, um, and you touched on a little bit already, but that there really is a role in the military that exists that is just not going to have as many issues or these issues you've talked about are minimized if we just keep the women to this little corner section, you know, for the women who really want to, you know, you see what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. So I think, you know, there's certainly a historic um, precedent for women, maybe not serving in the military directly, but at least aiding the military. I mean, obviously during the civil war, you had a lot of women acting as nurses and doctors for wounded soldiers and things like that. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there are other cases in World War One or World War Two that were similar, but that was all sort of like a niche um, place for women where they kind of did what they did best, which tends to be taking care of other people um, and things of that sort. So I think in that way, there's certainly a place for women, but the problem is sort of like, you know, where's the line? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you prevent the slippery slope? Because, you know, back then, Nobody, nobody would have conceived of like the feasibility of women in combat arms or like the reality of women in combat arms. It's just sort of like a matter of a fact that women will be behind the lines and they can take care of, um, you know, the wounded soldiers. And, you know, maybe in some of those cases, too, that would have been the mothers and the wives and the daughters of soldiers helping take care of, you know, the people from their hometown, because the way the military was organized was based off like your state and things like that. So it would have been kind of like a whole community going to war almost, you know, in a certain sense. Um, So in that way, I would kind of say, yeah, there could be a place, but, you know, uh, in our modern society, you give them an inch, they're going to take 20 miles. Yeah, um, I think I agree uh, with Aaron. Um, And I I think it, it all depends, too, on whether or not we're in wartime. Right. So if you're in peacetime or in this quasi peacetime, technically, we're not really in peacetime. But um, if you're in this quasi peacetime, there's I don't see any reason why it's necessary to have women in the military. And I'll just talk from the Navy's perspective, actually not from the Navy's, from my (laughs) perspective of being in the Navy um, on ships. I think it's an absolute disaster. Right. Because, you know, the birthing. It's a ship. The birth, the female birthing is right next to the male birthing. So it's, it's chaos. But, um, is for, for someone who wasn't on a ship, is that close? Is that what you're saying? Yes, it's right. It's literally right. You, you walk out of one 
a door and you walk into the next door and now you're in mail birthing. Now, when they, this is just an aside, when they were developing the ideas, I know they have women on submarines, boomers, uh, they're the ballistic missile submarines. Um, when they were developing the plans for that, they showed us the plans because I was stationed in Groton for a year. They they showed us the plans for it. And you literally, as a woman, to get to your to your uh, bathroom, you had to walk through the male birthing. So where the male are living, you had to walk through there and to get to your bathroom. It, it was it was absolute chaos. So um, I don't think on ships it works at all, um, personally. Uh, but from a from being a Roman Catholic, I, I don't really see a need at this juncture why we would need women in the military. Now, like Aaron's saying, if, if it's like from a, a nurturing, mothering, like as a nurse or something like that, okay. Um, even as secretaries, you know, in a building on land, I, I don't see a real issue with it. I, I have a problem with, you know, like, how do I put this correctly? Um, I don't know. I just don't see the necessity of it right now. Like if you look at World War II or if you look at the Civil War, the re- men couldn't fill any of those jobs. So you need women to actually step up and do the the WAF or WAF or whatever they called them um, jobs in in World War II or in World War One, where you need women as aides um, to generals and admirals and stuff like that because there are no men. The men are all out fighting and getting shot and, and killing. Um, so, sure, you could in in a rational society, could you create a system where there were women that were assisting in the military that? Um, that there wasn't really any kind of conflict or wasn't against their nature or something like that. Yeah. But we don't live in one of those societies. We live in an absolutely insane society. So I would say, and here's the thing, like uh, this is, if you want to really know, you can, women will agree to this too. Um, if you go up to a Navy sailor, that's a man or a woman, and you said, okay, I say, this is what I say. I say we should put men on all men on one ship. And then we just put all the women on another ship. The women will be like, absolutely not absolutely not there's no way we're gonna have the women will tell you there's no way we could have a ship with just women it would be they don't want it they need the men men are like absolutely sign me up i'll go on that ship right now i mean we had an entire when i was in the submarine fleet was completely all men people were like yeah great we'll do it right now right the women are like no 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 (laughs) that should tell you something it doesn't work it's not the same they're not equal it's not supposed to be the same. It's not supposed to be equal. It's not that they're saying they're lesser than us or something like that. In a lot of respects, they're greater than us. I mean, being a mother is definitely better than going and having to shoot and blow people up. Like, that that's a better thing for society. But, um, yeah, I, I just – I don't see the necessity of it other than our society is just demanding this idea that men and women are exactly the same. And it has caused so much chaos that at this point I'm just like, why? Why do we have to keep – hurting our society, our civilization in this way. Like, it doesn't make sense. So let's get into the Catholic... <clears throat> let's get into the Catholic um, perspective on this, since we're all Catholics and this is a Catholic show. I can hear the Catholic feminists right now saying, oh my gosh, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. We have biblical examples. We have, you know, historical examples to give you of why it's a raging success when women are combative and uh, are in the military. For example, Judith, and the most famous example, St. Joan of Arc. What say you guys about that? So 
for me, the the thing with St. Joan of Arc, you know, like, she's a stellar example of everything women today in the military are not. Yes. Um, you know, if women want to be in the military, well, let's, my favorite thing about Joan of Arc, and this is also coming from a, uh, an infantryman perspective and sort of knowing the sort of moral laxity that exists within the infantry uh, and combat arms, is she was known to go out of the camp and drive away prostitutes mm-hmm. um, and other delinquents um, and, you know, other women from her own soldiers so that, you know, they wouldn't be corrupted morally and stuff like that. Um, you know, women in the military aren't going to do that. Uh, and as, you know, Brendan was saying, you know, he had the experience of dealing with predatory women in the military. And you know what? Joan of Arc did more for her, you know, in those military situations by helping the moral standards of those men than she did anything else. Um, right. You know, her position was as sort of, you know, a standard of of what it meant to be or what the men should have been doing. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of character that the men should have. Not the kind of character the women should have, but what what the men should have been like. Um, and, you know, there's plenty of examples of history throughout history where it's always kind of like, um, I think there's maybe a few examples of in, in ancient Greek history and probably some other in like Celtic or Germanic history where, you know, you have these examples of um, men failing to live up to the standards of being men and the most primal sense of the word, you know, fighting, being strong, being aggressive, all this stuff. And so the women either go out and do it and the men are like, why are these women doing it? We're the men. We should be. Doing right. It. right. And so it's sort of like this um, mirror image of that's kind of shaming the men, you know, mm-hmm. and and then the men turn around, they fight and they go and do what they're supposed to do. So the women don't have to. And so they say their city or their country or whatever. So it's always these cases of like the men, the women do it to show that the men aren't being men. Um, and I think St. Joan of Arc is kind of in that way showing that the men of her time weren't being the kind of chivalrous knights or warriors that their society and that the church demanded of them. Yeah. I I agree 100%. I think uh, St. Joan of Arc and Judith, those are the two examples you used, um, are examples of ex- of exceptions to the rule, which prove the rule, like Aaron's saying. The entire point of having Joan of Arc, St. Joan of Arc, right? This is the end of the Hundred Years' War. France has given up. They're done. They've quit. It's over. The English have won. And think about the amount of time. Like, if you read um, the good biographies of St. Joan of Arc, it's not like she had this inner desire to go out there and fight the English. God has to send his angel, St. Michael, to come down and tell her, you gotta, you have this mission. You have to do this. And it takes a while for her to finally come to that grips and realization that, okay, this is my calling. It it wasn't like she's like, I'm a woman, I'm strong, I'm empowered, I'm going to save France. It was like, no, none of the men are doing their jobs. We have to shame them to do their jobs. And it's actually a really interesting thing of the difference between men and women. Like, women don't react the same way to shame that men do, right? Women, can it can lead them to despair when they be, when they when they experience a great deal of shame. Men, it's like a kick in the, the pants. They're like, okay, 
Like, and you see this in the military all the time. That's what boot camp's all about, is tearing someone down so that they realize that they can be built back up. And Joan of Arc effectively does that to the entire French army. She tears them down by just being a young maiden who is going to, she's like, I'm going to war with the English. And the French army doesn't want to do this. And like Aaron's saying, they're, they're completely um, depraved almost. Like you read the accounts of what was going on in the French camp. It was a disaster. And she comes and brings holiness into the camp. And she inspires them. Like if this young man, I'm not going to let this young man go out there and get killed by these lunatic English. We're going to go out there and we're going to protect her. She doesn't kill anybody. Right. I mean, Judith obviously does, but Joan of Arc doesn't kill anybody. She's out there as effectively the greatest symbol of the French army and the desire of men to protect women, right? Like that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to protect this young maiden who is their symbol of their country. So it's a terrible example that feminists use when they try to besmirch uh, St. Joan of Arc. She is not, uh, she shouldn't be. She is an exception to the rule and she had a very important role to play in saving France from English domination. But she's not, she's not some great feminist leader like she wasn't um i don't know they they try to re they do this it's a great miscarriage of historical justice they they rewrite history to make it seem like oh she was on our side back then when actually no she's not if you really look at the historical full context of the picture she's doing exactly what aaron's saying she is ex um she's causing the french men in the army to actually become men and that is i mean if you want to look at a larger catholic perspective that's what women do for men they are the inspiration for men to become better like that's the whole like even if you take it away from catholic you just look at romantic literature you know look at the king arthur stories and stuff like that you have these women that are inspiring men to become better she is the saint joan of arc is the feminine person that drives the french army to finally become masculine again and i think feminists that you try to use saint joan of arc as some like you know katie perry hear my roar sort of thing it's it's an absolute disgrace like they should be ashamed of themselves because they don't understand who she was or what was going on and they just it's drive by history oh i've heard of Jan joan of arc she's on my team no she's not okay no no she's not and the exceptions are the exceptions for a reason it's a logical fallacy because it's it's like they ideologies like this latch on to the exceptions to make them the rule if that were the case then the most excellent chef in the world if he's a man necessitates that no women become chefs anymore because the the best chef in the world is a man oh well sorry for us we can't cook anymore like it it doesn't make any sense also saint judith and saint joan of arc were not canonized, and Judas is not canonized, but St. Joan of Arc was not canonized for becoming a soldier. She was canonized because of her holiness, because of her martyrdom. That has nothing to do with the fact that she she served in the military or she donned, you know, the in military fact, uniform. Sorry, sir. In fact, it's, it's almost the opposite, right? Because she gets martyred. What is actually martyrdom? Martyrdom is the opposite of what we expect our military members to do. Martyrdom is the surrender of the entire self back to Christ. And military, you are expecting, and I'm not saying that you can't be a good Catholic or a good Christian in the military, but the nature of being in the military is to be aggressive and to destroy your enemy. Whereas 
Joan of Arc's act of martyrdom is is the is the holy reverse of that, where it's it's you know I'm surrendering completely to the will of God and allowing myself to die as an example to Christ, which is really feminine because if you think about it, surrender is all based in femininity. So when men, anyways, that's, I'm getting off on a tangent, but my point is, you're right, sweetheart. The the death of Saint Joan of Arc, her martyrdom is why she's canonized, and that was a great feminine act. It wasn't a masculine. Look at how, I mean, she didn't get canonized for killing a bunch of English people. She didn't kill any English people, but, you know, we don't canonize people for things like that. I'm just really curious about this, too, is that, okay, let's say there's just a woman who really wants to, or maybe she's Catholic and feels called by God and she wants to join the military. How possible is that lifestyle for a potential vocation and such like either she's single when she enters and you think, Oh, that's fine. She's single um, versus married when she enters. Cause I think there's probably more complications if she's married because then you have children. And when you're in the military and they say goodbye for two years overseas, you can't really argue that. And you know, you're apart from your children. So is how is it possible uh, or should a woman really consider joining the military if you if she thinks she might be called or have great qualities to join based off of uh, what is expected of her? Well, first off, I think uh, we should say that uh, there's no such thing as a vocation to the military. That's right. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. <laughs> Certainly not any really sacrament. Um, you know. I'm just going off what feminists usually say. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, everything's a vocation, which is really just code yeah. word for, like, I want to do whatever I want. Right. Um, but, like, I don't, you know, when I decided to join the Army, it wasn't like, I prayed about this. You know, God spoke to me, and, I, you know, now I'm going to join the infantry because I need to kill people overseas to go to heaven, you know. Right. And, right. you know, I don't think the Crusader indulgence is still in effect, so I don't think it would matter anyways. Right. But, yeah, I mean, like, just the idea of, Every you, you you turn everything into a vocation, and it's really just a sort of trying to. It's 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 a subconscious means to make excuses for you to do what you want. That's really what it is. And I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's actually interesting if you look at why most men want to join the military. It's it's about desiring to serve. Like, I mean, I'm sure Aaron is on the same page with this, but you have this desire to serve someone else and protect someone else. In reality, what are you doing? You're, it's like a, it's a mini version of being a father or a husband. The whole point of becoming a father and a husband is to serve and protect this woman and the two of you become one and it's Trinitarian and all the rest of it. But your role as a masculine father or husband is to protect and to serve, you know, to work for this family. And essentially, that's what you're doing when you're joining the military, but you're doing it for your country. So in that way, it's obviously not a vocation. Absolutely agree. But it's almost like a mini version or a preparation in some ways for the vocation because you're doing something for somebody else. There's a reason that our society, even today in the chaos that is our society today, we look at military, police, fire, hospital workers, all this stuff as their servants. They're actually serving a greater um you know, a, a purpose for a society. They're, they're doing something good, even though we pay them. And, but there's a major sacrifice that takes place there. So now putting a woman in that, that that's not the woman. I mean, I'm just talking now. Okay. Every, all the feminists relax. I'm not talking about exceptions to the rule. I'm talking about as an overarching idea of womanhood or femininity, the femininity isn't to, to protect 
and defend the family. Femininity is about um, surrender and giving yourself completely over. Just like as a man, you give completely over your will. So it's two people giving over their will completely, but in different ways. One is masculine, one is feminine. And if you actually um, really have those feminine qualities in the woman and the masculine qualities in the man, you have a beautiful, whole, holy family-ish like um, community growing there. So I think the military is specifically set up for men because it it demands qualities that are masculine. And so they're they're contrary to the nature of femininity, which means that by pushing women into this organization that is set up for the masculine, you can it's very confusing. You have a lot of very confused women just in our society, but then when they get in the military, they're even more confused. So it's not that I'm saying that there aren't people that God has called to serve their country in specific ways. Obviously, St. Joan of Arc is one of those people, but I think those are exceptions to the rule, and we should spend a lot more time talking about the rule as opposed to the exceptions. All feminists ever want to do is take exceptions and make them the rule, and it's actually an attack on the church because it's an attack on the patriarchy. You're attacking the idea that men and women are made for different things, not that they're not, that God doesn't love them equally. Obviously, he does, but you are specifically made for different things, right? So, um, uh, Fulton Sheen talks about the equity versus equality. And even Fulton Sheen has this quote that I love that I use all the time, um, not all the time, but quite a bit, which is women have traded superiority in some circumstances for equality. And it doesn't make any sense. And as a society, as a society if we try to um, say that this is a good thing, we are going to destroy our society. We are destroying our society by this feminist movement. I don't think you can be a Catholic and be a feminist. I don't think there's any such thing as a Catholic feminist. I think you're either a feminist or you're a Catholic, but that's my opinion. I know that. Yeah, so uh, it's a little, I'd uh, add to that too, like for a lot of men joining the military too is sort of about the community and the brotherhood uh, that you get with that. And, you know, that goes all the way back to hunter-gatherer societies. You know, right. what did the men do there? They got together as a band of, you know, only men went out and they hunted the dangerous predators, you know, the, right. the mammoths, you know, they protected the tribe. Uh, and, you know, the women had their role to play. They did, you know, they took care of the kids. They took care of the elders, you know, and, you know, they, they gathered non-food, uh, you know, other food sources, you know, picking berries, berries, foraging, stuff like that. And then, you know, you transplant that to today and it's like, well, we live in a society where what we're predominantly male spaces, um, not necessarily the workforce, um, but, you know, maybe in other cases, you know, like you look at the Boy Scouts, which is you know bankrupt now, uh, yeah. you know, where you have these male dominated spaces where these men got to interact freely with other men um, and build bonds, friendship, community, and stuff like that with these other guys. And that's, in you know, slowly over time, at least in the past hundred years, that's that rug is slowly being pulled away. Um, and when you look at it, you know, it, okay, um, this is going to get a little grim, but if you look at suicide rates, in, in particularly America, who have the highest suicide rates? It's uh, white males in their 20-somethings, and it's black males in their 20-somethings. And it's because feminists have slowly, you know, integrated themselves or forced their way in rather like they put a little wedge in there and then they force open the door uh, into all these male spaces and really, you know, law enforcement, uh, firefighting, EMS, um, the Boy Scouts thing, you know, 
and you see it now in the church too. You always got to have, you know, uh, Susan from the parish council, um, at the lecture, <laughs> you know, or as the Eucharistic minister, um, and then, or, you know, the girl altar service thing. And so like, where, where's the last, you know, like refuges for men to develop community, to have brotherhood. And, you know, usually that kind of falls on the military now. Um, but even that's, you know, sort of being pulled out of the rug, uh, uh, that rug is being pulled out from under them. And it's kind of been disastrous for men. Um, just sort of like looking at this from the perspective of how feminism has affected men over the past 100 years. And um, I was going to go somewhere with that, but I don't remember now. It's all right. It's really no, good. That, that was good. Um, so, yeah, I don't, well, I, don't, I don't remember. Since we're a practical show, um, let's talk about the implications and the ramifications of women joining the military. Because I, I feel like people forget... We've heard how, how it affects men, which is, it sounds like, pretty adversely in general. How it affects women, I would probably assume, uh, is, is fairly similar. Um, let's take it from both the single woman's perspective and then the married woman's. So the moment you sign on that dotted line, you are committed to four or six years period, end of story no matter what happens, war, peacetime, whatever, you are set. Let's say you join when you're what? Let's say, you know, be generous and say that you join when you're 18. Didn't go to college, you're enlisted, you, you sign up. So six years later, 24, that's not bad. But what if you decide, what if you meet someone during that time? Well, you, I think you, you actually have an even bigger problem than signing on the dotted line. You have to swear an oath, right, normally to God, that you're going to do this. So this is, and it's a, that's, a, I mean, I, I, I guarantee, I mean, Aaron, I'm sure you remember your oath. I remember my oath. I'll remember the oath till the day you die. You get up there and you put your hand up and you swear to God you're going to do these things. Yeah, it's a problem. Like, if your vocation comes along, the military is not it's not very conducive that you look at the divorce rates in the military. It's not good. It's much worse than just the regular society because you're spending extended periods of time away from your family. And we're just talking about the men at this point I'll, in the Navy. Here's another issue. Uh, people are not going to be happy about this. I, one more thing before one little aside before I go on the, okay. So people are going to just label us as chauvinists. Here's the reality. Chauvinism exists and feminism is a response to chauvinism, but we're not actually chauvinists. We hate chauvinism as much as we hate feminism. Feminism is the incorrect response to chauvinism, which comes from, drumroll, the Protestants or the Protestant theology. That's that's OK. I know I'm not a doctor or anything like that. I'm just telling you, if you look at it, it's common sense. What did they do? They deep sixed or they jettisoned or whatever word you want to put in. They got rid of the Blessed Mother. There's no example of femininity, so how do you know where, what women are supposed to do and what, what happens then? Well, men are then superior than women, and then they start treating women poorly. Anyways, it's a very vicious circle. So then the feminists or these women, they're sick of being treated poorly, which, hey, I understand. So they say, we're just going to we're gonna take control. But what is feminism? Feminism, all it is and why it's contrary to everything that the church has ever taught is the masculization of women. That's what they're doing. They're not making them more feminine. They're making them more masculine. So anyways, back to what I was saying. I just want to make that clear. I, Aaron, I know Aaron 
a little bit, but I guarantee he would agree with me. We're not chauvinists. We don't want chauvinism. We just want women to be feminine and we want men to be masculine. And we think that that's complimentary. So anyways, um, well, sorry, I got off on that aside. Um, what were you, what was the question about? Oh, the practical, the practical, the practical standpoint. I'll just give an, I'll just give a quick example of something that I saw all the time. Um, with women, which is seriously problematic. And that happens to be one of the ways women know that they can get out of going on deployment is by becoming pregnant. And so they will literally, before a deployment is coming up, they will go out of their way to try and get pregnant with any random man that they can, I shouldn't say that, but it's pretty much any random man that they can find. We had scandals every month before deployment of women being caught on the ship, you know, getting pregnant in the process of getting pregnant and then having to be basically they they get off the ship for the the deployment and and then they get the option of actually leaving the military too so it's caused a lot of broken families um just from that standpoint you have families that are being created that are actually just the opposite of creating a family where you have a woman just getting pregnant so she can get off a ship the child is a means to an end which is sick um and then you have a lot of broken families because think about it if you're a wife and your husband is going to see and he's going to see on a ship that's got a couple hundred women on there, a lot of them who are predatory, what do you think is going to for nine months and say they're not devoutly Roman Catholic? It's I keep using this word, but it is it's chaos. It's absolute chaos. So you see a lot of broken marriages, a lot. I mean, from people that aren't necessarily bad, uh, I guess they're not holy people, but. You know, you wouldn't think normally if they were just living in society, they might not commit adultery, but then you put them in this circumstance. Guess what? They're committing adultery. So, yeah, go ahead, Aaron. Sorry. So I just, you know, you, you kept using chaos and it just brought to mind that. And this is this is going sort of out of the way of the uh, Roman Catholic perspective, but to sort of look at how other societies <laughs> viewed women in military roles. And I think the best examples of this, you know, because the feminists always kind of try to, like, find examples in the past of, like, great feminists or, or women warriors kind of thing. You know, the shield maidens in, in you know, Scandinavia or whatever. But, like, <laughs> right, if you look yeah. at those societies and how they viewed women warriors or warrior goddesses or what have you, they were almost always forces of chaos. Yeah. Um, in Greek mythology, the Amazonians were, like, they were fearsome women or whatever, but, like, they were forces of chaos and destruction. That's not a good thing. No. Um, and even then, you know, they were reported to have practices such as like cutting off their breasts so they could be better warriors. Like mm. that, there's nothing more, I think, like uh, masculinizing, if you will, creating new words yeah. here to, you know, to show like this idea of like the military and, you know, um, fighting warfare and things like that as like uh, not an empower powering thing but a sort of uh destroying the identity of women as as you know the female um and then you know the other side of it is if you go up to norse mythology with the valkyries you know who were they in norse mythology they were angelic figures who served a god in order to bring men to heaven aka valhalla so what were they doing they were servants mm -hmm. you know there to to help the men get them to heaven you know, and that sort of goes back to like the Joan of Arc thing too. You know, right? The the role of women in the military just needs to be, it, it shouldn't be there. But if it is there, it's got to be helping the men be better men. Yep. Yeah, just going back. <coughs> Sorry. 
just going back to the practical side though, for any woman listening who may be, um, you know, attracted to the military, or if you have family members who may be attracted, um, that are female, just consider the, the practical implications, like the fact that, um, you know, this, this commitment or this oath that you're taking is incredibly serious and it is, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, really hard to get out of just because you can become pregnant. Let's say you're, you're just, um, you, you serve an administrative role, not even in combat. Um, you're still committed to that time frame, come hell or high water. So if you get married, if you get pregnant, you are still committed to that role. And so any children will must be put into daycare or given to, you know, a family member during that time. Um, and God forbid that you're deployed somewhere, you know, and that's not even talking about combat roles of God forbid you, you know, you're married and you get pregnant and then you leave on a combat mission. I mean, that's just horrible and unthinkable, but, um, so just, uh, just a word, a word to those out there of, of don't just think about, Oh, I can do this. You know, just that entry point, think of everything that comes after. Well, and I think too, if I, if, if, if I were talking to a, a young lady who was thinking about joining the military, I would I would ask her. I'm not saying that you can't. I mean, obviously you can. Um, I'm just I would want to know, or I would want I would ask her. Do you, why why do you think you want to join the military? What has brought you to this point where you think that this would be good for my life? And then, if you're a Roman Catholic, I would ask. Is this contrary to your nature? Is this contrary to what is this is because of how you the, the culture that you've been raised in? Or is this because actually God is calling you to it? Because the, the reality is, I mean, when I was a teacher teaching high school students, it was really hard to talk to the high school girls because they had been completely raised in a feminist culture. And the reality is we were, too. Right. We just didn't really know it. Our parents weren't really. They didn't realize it because you thought feminism, all those little crazy people out in the streets burning their bras. No, it's everywhere. It's literally in every home. It's in every society. It's on every show. Why is it you want to do these things? Is it really what God's calling you to? Because if if somebody had sat me down when I was 14 or 15 years old and been like, look, Brendan, the number one thing you should be concerned about is your vocation and figuring out what that is and discerning that and finding out what God is calling you to. Because Aaron's right. The military is not a vocation. It's not, it's not, these people use little V vocation. There's no such thing as a little V vocation. Okay. It can be a calling. It can be a career. It can be, but it's not, it's not an actual vocation. It could be a duty if you're protecting your society, but it's not a vocation. And since we don't ever talk to our children about vocations and what those actually mean, like, you know, we're going to pray for vocations. We're going to pray for what we mean by that is we're going to pray for priests and religious but we're not telling people who are being called to marriage, like from the earliest days, okay, you need to you need to really be talking to God about your vocation and what that actually means, what your being a woman, being a man actually means to that vocation. If that's your focus, all these other things are going to fall into place. So I think a lot of women that if this is what you're feeling, you're being called to, I'd say take a step back and ask yourself, why do I feel like I'm being called to this? Is it because that I've been trained to think that now I'm going to have respect or I'm going to have control or I'm going to do something good in the world because it may very well 
not be the good that God is calling you to do. And really, anyways, I would just say take a minute to try and think, have I been lied to my entire life about what it is to do good in the world? Because the chances are it probably is. It's, that's probably the root cause of why you're feeling this desire to go in the military. I'm not telling you what you're actually being called to. I'm just saying take a minute and step back. Think about this. Why Why am I being called to this traditionally masculine, a masculine endeavor? That's what the military is. It's a masculine endeavor. Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I kind of want to take that and look at it a little bit from a moral perspective. If, if you're looking at joining the military and you're, you know, you're a young gal and you're thinking about it, like Brendan said, you know, think about why you're doing it, but also think about sort of the implications of your actions. How will that affect the people you encounter? How will that affect your, uh, you know, their ability to operate in the workplace or in a combat zone? And, uh, you know, what was interesting was, you know, in 2015, the Marines did a big combat study for 10 months involving over or about 600 Marines. But what I found most interesting throughout all this study, and you know, there's there's the statistics you can look up. There's plenty of articles that came out about it, talking about the results and, and the controversy of it. But what I found interesting when going through these was there was a quote from a 1992 presidential commission. So just under 30 years, you know, 24 years. I'm sorry, I'm way off in my time there. Mm -hmm. 27 years ago, uh, that concluded, quote, risking the lives of a military unit in combat to provide career opportunities or accommodate the personal desires or interests of an individual or group is more than bad military judgment. It is morally wrong. Because you have to think that the whole goal of the military, yeah, we can say it's it's protection of the country and all that stuff. But, like, what does that mean? Well, that means going and destroying our enemies. Yeah. And women are going to inhibit men from doing that, at least in combat arms, for sure. And like I said, there's, you know, re- plenty of research that, that has shown that. Uh, and the Marines did this, you know, study. But think of the moral implications of joining the military on the bigger picture of the unit you might go to or the, the people you'll encounter uh, because that's that's going to be where it matters too. And we, we uh, in today's society, we don't think about morality or its consequences. We kind of just think, well, where do we want to, where do we fit in? Yep. What do we want to do and how do we do it? Uh, but we, we never think about the consequences of our actions anymore. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> Do you want to say anything? No, I think they touched on everything. We barely even had to ask any questions. You guys just answered them all. We had a whole list of questions. And you well, you know, it's, it's probably been pent up in us for a while. Because, <laughs> I mean, like I said, everyone, everyone, I mean, not I shouldn't say everyone. The majority of men in the military feel the same way. It's the unspoken majority. Like, this is how men feel. Because here's the other thing. For a good man, you're taught to treat a woman a specific way. The military... The military is teaching you to treat them the complete opposite mm. way, right? Because they're not a woman anymore. They're not a lady. They're a shipmate. They're they're the same as you. You have the same uniform on. They're supposed to be able to do the same thing. But if I look at this person, I know in my head this person is not the same as me. Not that they're worse than me, but they have a different role and a different, you know, they have different abilities, and it's just it's 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 mass confusion, right? They've they've created mass confusion based on a lie that men and women were made exactly the same and that we're completely equal in everything and we should all just treat each other like that. 
Well, like like Aaron said, it's moral confusion. Yeah. It's practical confusion, but it's moral confusion because yeah. that that touches the moral aspect of how how men treat women. I mean, if you're messing with that, that that's serious. Yeah, oh. I think it's it's crazy to think that 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 quote was from a presidential commission. Yeah. So like, yeah. not even religious source, uh, Catholic or non-Catholic, uh, not from you know some. I guess, you know, like a men's rights group or anything like that, but from a presidential commission, I think 92 was the Clinton administration too, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, clearly someone who should be on their side or something. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're aware that like, this is a pro like, this is a grave moral wrong to invite, you know, particular interest groups to support certain ideologies or certain actions that would you know, put cracks in the chinks of, you know, our country's armor, so to speak. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's also crazy to think how much that perspective has changed now over the past 20 plus years um, from when, you know, you know, in the 90s, it was pretty much unthinkable. Like, yep. everyone would have been like, why would you want to do that? Right. You know, you shouldn't be doing that. And now it's like, oh, well, you know, science or research be damned, I should be able to do it just so I can have the choice. Mm-hmm. And, How dare you, know, you speak for me? Yeah, exactly. How dare you oppress me? Yep. Well, you you join the military, you're going to be oppressed real quick. Let me tell oh, you. Yeah. It starts day one. <laughs> oppression. Get ready. We give up our rights so you can have yours. <laughs> yep. So I think that about wraps up the episode. Thank you to Aaron and Brendan for sharing your opinions. Um, anybody has any comments to anything they said or any more questions, you can always give us a shout out on Twitter. We're not super active on other social medias, but always give us a shout out there. Um, and so thank you everybody and have a good day. Bye.